Maybe you heard about the guy named John who had a serious memory problem. One day he ran into a friend that he had not seen in a long time, and he greeted him, and he said, Hello, Bill. He said, Do you remember what a bad memory that I used to have? And he said, Oh, man, do I ever. He said, Well, it's not that bad anymore. He said, I went to a seminar that taught us how to remember things. He said, It was great, and now I just have this wonderful memory. Bill said, Man, that's great. He said, What was the name of the seminar? John said, uh, wait just a minute. My wife went with me. I need to go ask her. He turned and he saw his wife nearby. Then he turned back to Bill and he said, hey, Bill, he said, what's that name of the flower with that long stem and thorns and a red bloom? He said, you mean a rose? Bill said, yes, thank you very much. And then he turned around and he goes, hey, Rose, what's the name of that seminar that we attended? <laughs> the ability to remember is a wonderful gift that God has given us. Amen? In a flash, we can be a child again. We can skip rocks across a pond. We can walk in a meadow. We can just go back in our memory. We can enjoy our children all over again if you really want to do that, right? Uh, Some of our memories are very happy, as we recall wonderful experiences. Some are sad, and a lot of times... We cry. A lot of times we shed tears, but we still have the ability to remember and to hold on to things. Memories are also very practical. Uh, If we couldn't remember that a red light means stop, we're going to be in big trouble. If you weren't able to remember what day it is or or what your anniversary or wife's birthday is, you're really going to be in big trouble. So memories are very practical. But the problem is that sometimes memory fails us and sometimes we forget. Memorial Day started near the end of the Civil War. And within just a few years, the practice of placing flowers on military graves had spread throughout both the North and the South. And it was originally called Decorations Day. And so from May 5, 1866 until the present we have paused on this weekend to give thanks and to remember those that have served before us and those that are serving right now to fight for the freedom that we enjoy. And I think it's only fitting right now that we stop and that we give honor to whom honor is due, as God says. And I'd like for all of our veterans, if you would, to stand uh, so we can recognize you today. All of our veterans, please stand. We love you with the love of the Lord. We love you with the love of the Lord. We see in you the glory of our King. And we love you with the love of the Lord. I want us to think for a moment about this. Memorial Day really can be a teaching tool. And it's designed to teach us to remember. So one day a year, our nation sets aside this day and days like it to remember things which are important to us. And here's reality. We tend to be forgetful 
And so we need things to kind of jog our memories. And in Scripture, we find that God has given us some reminders. For example, I want you to look in Genesis chapter 9 with me for a moment. Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 11, the very beginning after God destroyed the earth in a flood, here's what he told Noah. He said, I established my covenant with you. And he says, never again will all of life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. Now hear that again. This is a covenant that God is making between him and the people and every living creature with you. Then he says, it's a covenant for all generations to come. And here it is. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. Kids, how many of you love to look up in the sky and see a pretty rainbow? Boy, isn't it pretty? Okay. God says, I've put my rainbow in the clouds, and it's to be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. So not only is it for the people to be reminded, but God said when I see the rainbow, I realize I put it there for you. And this is to remind me of the promise that I'm making to you. And here it is. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all of life. What a promise. And then another memorial. When Joshua is leading the people of Israel in Joshua chapter 4 across the Jordan River, you remember that scene, the water stopped flowing just as the priest is carrying the Ark of the Covenant, stepped into the water at the river's edge, and they stood in the middle of the river until the people had crossed safely into the promised land. And while they were crossing, Joshua told 12 men, one from each 12 tribes, to go into the middle of the riverbed. And he says, I want you to select 12 large stones. And so they brought these stones up onto the riverbank, and they made a monument out of them there. And listen to these words. He said, this is given to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when the children ask you, what do these stones mean? He says, tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And so the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites as the Lord had told Joshua and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. And then look at the end of that section in verse 24. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Leave that up there for just a moment. Man, do we ever need to be reminded of that truth today? That the hand of God is powerful. Amen. Amen. 
The hand of God is powerful because it's a symbol to help you and I realize that God is on our side. That God is for me. We've sung a beautiful song this morning. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side. Man, all the things that we remember in Scripture... Don't ever forget that truth that God is for you. That God is on your side. And so, I want you to look in Exodus chapter 12 this morning. And I want to focus in on another one. God set aside three special days. Three festivals that were designed to teach his people to remember. One was the Feast of Passover where they remembered that their ancestors had once been slaves in Egypt, but God led them out of slavery by his power and his might. Again, there's that hand of God that is at work. And then there was Pentecost. At Pentecost, Israel remembered that all their blessings came from God, and this was also called the Feast of the First Fruits. And during this festival, they remembered that God had given them this promised land to live and to raise their crops and they were to bring their best and they were to give them as a sacrifice to God. And then you had the Feast of Tabernacles and during this festival and during that weekend the people were to dwell in tents to remember the 40 years that Israel had spent in the wilderness. And so you see each of those festivals had several things in common. Number one, they were all days set aside to remember something about their relationship with God. Now I wonder this morning, what is it right now that stands out to you about your relationship with God? I mean, is it something that you just take for granted? Or is there something that you do? Or is there some spiritual thing that you do for yourself to help you remember how much God loves you? Another thing, on each of these festival days, the Israelites were required to come to Jerusalem. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, it says this, Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the feast of the unleavened bread, the feast of weeks, and the feast of tabernacles. No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. And so that required a certain amount of sacrifice, of time, and effort, and energy. And those festivals also cost them a literal sacrifice of their flocks and their herds. They were never to attend these festivals empty-handed. Now, why would God do that? Why would he require his people to leave their homes three times a year and make this trek to Jerusalem and offer these sacrifices at the temple? Simply put, God wanted his people to remember. He wanted them to remember who they belonged to and who they were. And do you realize every time we gather together as people of faith, as the people of God, Glenn's already reminded us, he's taken us back to some scriptures that we typically may not read during the Lord's Supper. That's okay, because all of those scriptures are there to point to us that Look what God has done for us. And so aren't you glad that we have that opportunity every Sunday 
to partake and to participate in the supper, in the Lord's Supper. It's there for us. It's there so we can remember. It's there so we can realize, man, look how good I've got it because of God. Look how good I've got it because of the sacrifice that he made with his one and only son, Jesus Christ. I love the story that William Willimon tells. He says several, several years ago he wrote this uh, in one of his books. He said, back in high school, he said, every Friday and Saturday night as I was leaving home to go on a date, I remember my mother bidding me farewell at the front door with these weighty words, he said. Don't forget who you are. She didn't mean that I was in danger of forgetting my name and my street address. She meant that alone on a date, in the midst of wherever you may find yourself, in the presence of some strangers, that I might forget who I was. He goes on to say that I might lose sight of the values with which I had been raised and answer to some alien name and engage in some unaccustomed behavior. And so don't forget who you were was her maternal benediction as I left home. God, all the way through Scripture, sends a message to his children. Don't forget me. In fact, he says, don't forget me to the point that I want you to love me above all else. I want you, he says, to put me first in everything. There is no doubt about it. We get a clear picture that our God is a jealous God. And he wants our utmost. He wants our full attention. He wants everything devoted to him in life. And so he wanted his people to remember who they were. And so what he's done through scripture over and over, he's used various tools like these festivals to teach his people. These festivals to help people remember who they were and what God had offered them and what God had brought to them in their life. And so I believe just as the God has involved these people with religious activities, we need to involve our families. We need to involve each other in spiritual activities that drive home who God is. And it starts right here in this room. It starts at church. But it goes much farther than that. And so I want you to look in Exodus chapter 12, and I want to draw some things out this morning about these festivals, some principles that maybe we can use to strengthen our families. First of all, I want you to realize this. I want you to look in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. God tells us when the Israelites ate the Passover meal, there was an urgency to that festival. And he says, this is how you're to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. There was this spirit of expectation. Okay, And so I think, number one, we need to teach our children we need to remind each other that our faith must not only be real, it needs to be urgent. And think about it. A lot of people, when they come to church, do we come with that spirit of expectation? Do we come with that spirit 
of anticipation that God is going to do something this morning? You know, a lot of times we just wake up, we eat breakfast, we're wrestling around. If you have kids and you're, you're trying to get the kids ready and you rush into class and, and you're probably, you may be 15, 20, 30 minutes late to class, but you're thinking, but at least I'm here. And that's right. And then we come in here, we sit in the same place every Sunday, and we walk in, and if somebody is in our place, we just kind of look around like, what am I going to do now? I mean, we feel lost, don't we? Have you ever gone up to somebody and said, hey, you're in my place? I'll never forget my my grandparents traveled all over the place uh, during their life, and they were up north one Sunday. and this, they were in a real small church, maybe about 50 people. And my grandparents just walked in and sat down on an empty pew. Church is about to begin, and this, this man walked up to my granddad, and he tapped him on the shoulder. Didn't even say, I don't know you, my name is so-and-so. He said, hey, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're in my pew. Well, you got to know my gramps. He, he didn't like that kind of stuff. So he just kind of stood up, and he said, well, that's kind of funny. He said, I don't see your name on it. And then he went on to introduce himself as a guest of that church. Can you imagine greeting somebody in the name of Jesus like that? You're in my pew. You need to get up. Church, here's the deal. Your relationship with God should not be done on that pew. Your relationship with God should not just be anticipated and expected and it's all right here in my pew. Because if it is, what's going to happen if somebody is in your place? Then all of a sudden your world has been rocked and you don't know what to do. Your relationship is in a holy God. And all we do in this place, this is a tool This is a place where God has given us to come together to worship Him. But I wonder what would happen if we would wake up every Sunday morning with that spirit of expectation, that spirit of anticipation that says, I wonder what God will do with my life today. I wonder what I will allow God to do with my life. Because sometimes we fight it, don't we? Sometimes we're the one that says, no. When God's trying to yield and God's trying to change our heart, we're the ones that have to say, I give up. And I want God to come into my heart. And I want a heart more and more like him. There was no urgency here to their worship. They were going through the motions. And let me tell you something, church. Parents, grandparents, when you go through the motions in your spiritual life, guess who's watching you? Your kids. They pick up on that. And we wonder today why our kids may just go through the motions. Maybe it starts with us. Maybe it starts with a spirit in our heart that says, Every time we gather together in the name of Jesus to worship him, it is all about God, period. It's all about what God will do in my life. And not only, number two, should we be approaching worship with anticipation, 
We make every effort to make it an enjoyable and a pleasing experience. These three festivals, the key word there is festival. Okay, It was just that. They had their somber and reflective moments, but they were also a time of celebration where they were celebrating the goodness of God, where they were celebrating the love that God had for them. And so the fact is, sometimes as worshipers, we can get so caught up in being so serious about faith and about worship that there's little room for smiles. I dare you right now to smile. It's contagious. You know, God didn't create us. He didn't create us to come together to worship Him. Really? Is that what God means to you? Church, I'm being serious, okay? It's a time to celebrate the goodness of God. And so every time we come together, we should do everything in our heart to sing as high as we can and raise our voices in worship to God because we're giving back to Him something that He's done for us. We were created to worship Him. Amen? Let's do that. But let's do that with a spirit of expectation and a spirit of anticipation and a spirit of excitement. Some kids turn away from church today because they sense that church isn't so much a happy place as it is a dull experience filled with rules and regulations. Worship needs to be a time of excitement. It needs to be a time of celebration with our families. And I want you to jump down in chapter 12 to verse 26. And number three, we need to use our worship experiences to teach our children, to teach our young people about loving God. Look at verse 26 through 28. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, It's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And then the people bowed down, and what's the word? Worshipped. And the Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. God's people used these festivals to teach their children to teach their families about God. There's not a greater teaching moment as we gather together in worship than communion. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. When you eat the bread, and when you drink the cup, what's the challenge there? Do this in remembrance of me. What a great teaching moment to our children. What a great time to put our arms around our kids and yes, talk quietly, but talk during communion and teach your children what we're doing right then and there. Use it as a teaching moment to help them realize this is why we eat the bread. This is why we drink the cup. This is what this means. Teach it as you go through it and hammer it harder 
when you get at home and remind them this is why we do this week in and week out in our relationship with God. And when you think about it, the meal, communion, God set it aside for us because he knew that his people, he knew that the church would need a reminder. What a reminder it is. Every time we gather together in the name of Jesus, we remember and we celebrate his goodness all the time. You know, it's worth noting, God never gave up on Israel. And even though Israel didn't always behave like a people who had remembered who they were and who their God was, God never ceased reminding them that through the feast of the Passover and the Pentecost and tabernacles, I'm doing this for you, he says. I want you to turn to Psalm 124 in your Bibles. Psalm 124. As we've sung about this morning, had it not been the Lord who was on our side. I want you to stand as I read this. And as you stand and before I read this, I want you to think about your own relationship with God this morning. And remember, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, we wouldn't be here. And remember, every time we gather together as his people, it's a time to celebrate. It's a time to give thanks. It's a time to give back to a God who gave so much to us. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord, who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken, and we have escaped. Our help, the psalmist says, is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. May God always bless the reading of his word. And may we always be a people who praise him for everything that he's done for us. Let's sing this morning.